or a green all day. I made two minor mistakes, and those were the only two blemishes on that round. I was in the zone. If God designed a golf course for himself, this would be it. The greens were perfect, like putting on velvet. The sand traps didn't seem man-made, even though they were. It was natural sand with no rakes, which made the course especially unique. At every hole, the caddy master recited a poem. Then, he'd give me a round of seasoned sound advice. After our 18 holes, the caddy master marched me into the pro shop where all the members were assembled. Attention, attention. I just played with this young rock fellow here. He shot 73. Never before has an amateur come here and shot 73. The pro shop members broke into applause. I had made my mark at Pine Valley. I never played Pine Valley again. The next time, I might overthink my game and shoot 93 or something. Had I shot for four days there, I might have averaged around 85. But on that day, I avoided the golf monster. I shot one over par at Pine Valley. So I am obviously a golf addict. But it didn't used to be that way. My addictions used to be much more destructive, and the road to redemption was a long, painful one. Even though golf and rock and roll are two very different animals, both remain very strong forces in my life. If rock and roll made my life, then golf saved my life. Included in this tale of my life and rock are the 12 golf steps I created that enabled me to trade in those harmful addictions for healthier ones. October 1977, on the Nightmare Tour. After five months of grueling rehearsals that began in the spring of 1975, I had spent two solid years on the road and in the studio making records. We played more than 200 sold-out dates all over the world before I finally took some time off. Then Shep Gordon, my manager, set up more dates. There was no way I was ready to go back out on the road. But being the obedient rock star that I am, I said yes, so I went back out on the road doing shows every night. And I was my usual jovial self, always willing to do anything for the cause. You could call me up in the middle of the night and say, Alice, you've got an interview in five minutes, and I'd do it. Then all of a sudden, I couldn't do it anymore. I was drinking nonstop. I was shaking. I was depressed. I was throwing up blood every morning in my hotel room. I knew I was dying. But with another leg of the tour already booked, I was caught. I couldn't give up alcohol. I was so exhausted that my whiskey and Coca-Cola was the only thing that got me through each day. Somehow I made it. Even in a fog of depression and drink, there was never a time when I gave up. But this time, I had pushed myself too far. I crawled inside the bottle and refused to come out. That's when my manager, Shep, and my wife, Cheryl, sat me down. Today they call it an intervention, but then they were just trying to save my life. Alice, you need to be in a hospital, they told me. I was too full of pride to admit I had a problem, but I was kind of hoping somebody, anybody, would knock me over the head and I'd wake up in a hospital. That way I wouldn't have to give myself up. I'm not going. Alice, the limousine will be here at 6 o'clock. Well, I hope you guys have a good time because I'm not going to go. By 6 o'clock, I was sitting between Shep and Cheryl in the back of the limousine, drinking as much as I could. We were on our way to a sanitarium in Westchester that Shep had found. Everything had been arranged. They checked me in, 
I had a hard time signing my name because my hand was shaking so badly. It was embarrassing, but I managed to sign. Then I looked around. Cheryl and Shep were gone. That's it. I'm leaving, I announced. Uh, no, sir, you're not, the nurse informed me. You've signed this paper, which means that for 72 hours, we have you. I was trapped in this place for three days. Oh, God. No alcohol, no VO and Coke, not even a can of beer. I had been conned, and I was boiling mad. I considered trying to escape, but I had no money, not even a nickel. But surely somebody on the outside would buy Alice Cooper a drink. When I woke up the next morning, my first impulse was to grab the whiskey bottle. And it was a terrible shock to remember that I couldn't. For 72 hours, I was steamed and shaky. It was as if my nerve endings had been placed on the outside of my body.